Mackerel Podcast number 280 for January 19th, 2012. Welcome to another Macworld Podcast. I'm Chris Breen. Today, Apple held an education event in New York City where it unveiled a new version of the iBooks app along with iBooks Author, a free Mac application that allows you to create books containing not just text, but also rich media elements. Macworld's Dan Morin and Lex Friedman attended the event. I talked to them about their impressions. Note that for this recording, they had to duck into a location that wasn't completely quiet, so I apologize in advance for any background noise. I'm speaking with Dan Morin and Lex Friedman, who attended Apple's education event in New York this morning. Welcome, boys. Thank you. Thanks for having us. So give us a rundown on what Apple presented today. Well, Apple started out with saying they had two things to present. And the first of those two was this new textbook initiative where they rolled out this idea that um, we're going to soup up sort of what iBooks has to offer in iBooks 2 and allow people to create these really rich uh, multimedia-enabled eBooks that can be distributed to courses uh, in schools in higher education and K-12 through levels and really will do a lot to hopefully push the technology of textbooks forward. Um, as for the second part... Well, the, the second part of part one of the announcements was then the companion app that goes with it. So there's a new app in the Mac App Store called iBooks Author. That's essentially, it looks like a part of the iWork suite, only it's free, and it lets you create these new multimedia-rich iBooks to distribute on the iBook store. Uh, and it's, you know, it's a very intuitive software, you know, drag and drop and manipulate your text however you'd like and then publish it. You can preview it right on your iPad and publish it. You can start the process of publishing it to the iBook store. Uh, then announcement number two focused on the much, I think, less renowned and less beloved iTunes U initiative, where Apple's spreading iTunes U now with the introduction of the iOS iTunes U app that lets you download curricula from universities around the world, I guess, and go through assignments, read linked books and download linked apps and go through a whole syllabus that way. And uh, as part of that, Apple's now said that they are willing to accept iTunes U lectures and courses from the K-12 through schools in addition to universities, which have been the only partner members to date. Okay, now what about uh, system compatibility? Do you have to be running Lion or Snow Leopard to use the creator? Yeah, so they, I mean, they didn't particularly tout that really highly during the presentation today, but yeah, Lion only seems to be the, the way it's going. And that's really not much of a surprise given the kind of technologies and the, the way that Apple's been rolling out its software recently, which is to say it's really been trying to push people forward onto using the latest versions of its operating systems, whether it be Mac OS X or iOS. And what about the iPhone and iPod Touch? Will you be able to read these books on those devices? I'll say, Chris, and you know I love Apple. That's why I do this job. I I was less than thrilled with Apple's answer when we asked that very question of, can we look at these new interactive textbooks on the iPhone? Uh, At the event, Apple's only official response was, these books are optimized for the iPad. Uh, Translated out of PR speak, what that meant was, uh, no, (laughs) you cannot look at these books on the iPhone. Uh, if you try to open one, it'll say that uh, these books must be experienced on the iPad. Uh, you can't just read them. You have to experience, you have to experience, them. experience them. Yeah. yeah. And uh, so, yeah, you, you can't create any of this content on, the, on any iOS device. Right now, you're limited to creating them with the Mac app, iBooks Author. Uh, and if you want to read them, you've got to have an iPad. Uh, it looks like iBooks Author will let you ex- export into 
three formats. You've got the iBooks author format, which is a new format that's released along with the app. There's PDF. And then there's text, I think. And I th- yeah, Dan says the third is text, and I'm inclined to believe him. Okay. Well, what kind of uh, media can you embed in a book? Oh, as it turns out, lots. Besides just text, there's obviously images, and not only can you just drop an image in as though you're, you know, you've got an illustrated book, but you can actually create galleries of images as well that are easy to just flip through um, and and scan through these these large collections. Uh, in addition to that, there's also a whole bunch of interactive material, which includes things like uh, quiz questions. Um, even keynote presentations, you can download. You can basically just drop a keynote deck into iBooks Author, and it will essentially uh, let you sort of slip, like navigate through the slides in that presentation. So you can use that for some some more interactive effects. And then, if you really need to go the whole nine yards and you want some really uh, interesting interactive elements, it actually allows you to build uh, using HTML, JavaScript, and CSS a sort of interactive little widget. And in fact, using you, the tool you would use to do this is, is Apple's Dash Code, which they previously have released for designing dashboard widgets in OS X. And what about video? To, to get video or photos in there or anything else, you just create the media however you'd like and then literally drag it right from the finder into, into iBooks Author and it's there. So must all media elements be embedded in the book or is there a way to link to web-based content? You, you can also post links to web content. I don't know. I know that you can do HTML widgets. Honestly, I don't know what would happen if you attempted to say, you know, copy YouTube embed code as HTML and put that in the book, whether it would work or not. My guess is that it would work. But your problem would be that if you're ever offline, you wouldn't get to access that. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Well, you went to the demo area. So how easy do these tools seem to be? You know, I will tell you the truth. It's all certainly usable. It's got Apple's... Tell me I'm lies. not going to lie to you. Don't uh, lies, Lex. It's, it's, it's not like these are going to be hard, brain-crushing bits of software to use. I will say it's uh, iBooks. The original iBooks, as you read an original-style iBook, is very intuitive. You look, you swipe to turn the pages, and you read your book. I found that, I don't want to speak for Dan, but it looked like Dan got a little bit confused, I got a little bit confused, and even the Apple person demoing it got a little bit confused in terms of managing the different gestures that one uses to, to wade through these textbooks. Like I said, this is not complicated, and you're going to master it after a bit, but it's, it's a little bit less intuitive because there's so much more there. For it's, example, you're, you're within a, ch- a page of a book. You do a pinch gesture to get back to the table of contents. You know, I was trying to tap to get a toolbar to appear to go to the table of contents or maybe swipe back to it or something, but uh, no. The, the, the language is a little bit different, um, and I think there's also some differences in the, both, as Lex was saying, the way you navigate through it. Um, there are also two different distinct ways of reading the book, which they demoed during the show, which is to say, you can look at it in a landscape mode, in which it has this very beautiful uh, you know, style that they've shown off, and looks great, and there's lots of imagery and all these interactive elements. If you turn it into a portrait orientation, you get something that looks a lot more to me like the textbook most of us probably were reading in school where it's, you know, a big chunk of text and then a smaller sidebar with images and stuff like that. You can still access all of those interactive elements, but they're sort of shunted into a smaller sidebar. And and the suspicion might be that that has something to do with why the books aren't accessible on an iPhone. It would just sure. be really hard to do the, the kind of layouts you want to do on a screen that's so much smaller. Mm-hmm. You know, but I, I, I will say, you know, to me, the, the, that, the fact that it, I think the portrait layout is really smart on Apple's part. I like that, you know, especially with no extra work on the iBooks author side of things, 
they set these up so that when you rotate your iPad from landscape to portrait, you see the book there in a much more Safari reader-esque presentation where the you can still get to all the fancier stuff, the images and the interactivity, but they're a tap away and they're, they're all streamlined to the margin. Uh, I hope... Uh, I won't say I expect, because I, I don't know what to expect, but I hope that Apple will find a way to fit these onto the iPhone 2 somehow, even if it means sacrificing some of the interactivity that the book might have. Just so if I you know, if I want to cram while I'm in line at the mall, I can, which I think is what all the kids are doing these days, um, you know, I can get to my textbook there with the, the device that's in my pocket, not just the iPad that I left at home. Right. Now, one of the things that people were saying when this was being rumored is that an ebook can't really replace uh, a paper text because you can't scrawl in the margins. Is there any uh, any option to to uh, make notes? Yeah, as a matter of fact, just like in the current version of iBooks, you have a couple different options, which is say you can highlight text, and they've simplified the simplified the highlighting a brilliantly little bit. simplified. Brilliantly, Lex says. I will say I will say they simplified it somewhat, which is to say instead of in the old version where you you selected text like as if you were going to copy or paste it, and then you tapped a button to highlight it. Now, as soon as you start dragging over the text to select it, it automatically gets highlighted. And if you then tap on the section you've highlighted, you can change the color, you can remove the color, you can change it to an underline, as we discovered, and you can also add a note, which is a little, like, sticky that goes ends up in the margin. Um, but one of the coolest things about this is that once you, uh, you know, when you're looking at your book later to review what you took notes on, there's a very convenient interface for providing all of the instances where you've noted something, what your notes were, and you can even have uh, iBooks turn that into flashcards, essentially. So you can like cycle through a list of flashcards, all the terms that you highlighted, and figure out you know, what is this thing that I need to remember for my test. So I think that was one of the coolest things that they showed off in the improvements from iBooks 1 to iBooks Agreed. 2. We noted this problem during our live blog where during the demo they ran into this one issue with the notes and then Dan and I both encountered it ourselves and we got hands-on with the app afterwards. But the, the one thing Apple will clearly come up with some fix for, I think, is that after you make these new, much easier to start highlights and notes, you get a little icon next to your noted text uh, in the left margin or in the right margin if it's on the right half of the page. The problem is those are also the same tap targets to turn the page. <laughs> so right now uh, when you tap on one of those note icons, unless you're right on a fairly tiny tapping target, you're going to go back and forth the page. And literally that happened during the demo uh, over and over again. I think it was four times he unintentionally turned the page. And then, like I said, Dan and I encountered it too. But uh, it's it's a minor enough issue. You can get into your note and it's not like you'll only be turning pages and not accessing your note. But clearly that's a, a small but fixable usability problem. Right. Now, during the presentation, Apple named a number of major publishers. But what does this mean for people who want to self-publish? Well, this program is not necessarily designed to them. You can use it for some self-publishing capabilities, but it clearly seems geared much more to producing rich interactive content. Now, you could, of course, write a book with rich interactive content if you so desired. But if you're just looking to self-publish your novel, I think – I think in some ways it's overkill, which is a little bit of a disappointment because there's really we're really lacking a good tool for making you know an, an EPUB out of uh, your word processing document. But something like Scrivener may still be superior if it's just I wrote a novel and I want to produce it, turn it into an electronic book that I can distribute. Because among other things, if you're just self-publishing your own work, um, using iBooks Author means you're locked into using the iPad as the only device it can be read on and the iBookstore is the only place that you can distribute it, which really kind of limits your your options. So you certainly could design a book in this, but it's there, there are going to be some trade-offs and some limitations. You know, Apple's currently stated rules that if you
you want to sell a book that you created through the app, your only choice is to sell it through the iBookstore. They say you're free to give it away because you can export the file and email it to a friend and have them drag it into uh, – via iTunes file share and you know, have their iPad connected and drag it into iBooks in, the, uh, in iTunes. Uh, and then they'll be able to read your book. But Apple's policy states that you're, you're not allowed to sell your book outside of the iBookstore. Uh, I don't know exactly how you could enforce such a rule since the if you have the file and you decide to put it behind a paywall and say, hey, Chris, if you give me $5, I'll give you my great book on robots, then you robots. Know, it seems like that you know you could then pay me that money. I could send you the file and you could drag it on. But Apple's policy states that if you're going to use iBookstore – I'm sorry, if you're going to use iBooks Author and you want to sell that book, your only option is to go through the iTunes store, the iBook store, which as Dan said, you know, you have to – that's a process to, to get approved to sell a book. I will add that one of the key features that they showed off in iBooks Author, which I know a number of people both in – our colleagues who put together our numerous super guides as eBooks and others have wanted is um, that you can actually preview the book that you're building on your iPad um, and it will do it all live. So if you have your, your iPad connected to your Mac with a with a USB cable, you can just click the preview button and it will automatically download the book, sort of build the book from iBooks Author and pop it right into iBooks with a little proof label over it and you can flip through and see how it looks, which is great because there really is no good tool on the Mac side. I mean, there's no iBooks for Mac still um, that lets you easily figure out, like, see how your book is going to look after you've put all this time into producing it. Okay, I'm going to ask you to put on your pundit's beanies, so if you'll... Uh, Hold on, let me just go into Lexus suitcases. <laughs> Got it? Yes. Yeah, we're good. Okay. Beanies on. So, given that these things won't be compatible with Kindle or other e-readers, what do you think about the long-term prospects of this, particularly for the publishers to say, okay, well, I have to make one version for iBooks, and I can sell it there, and then I have to make another one for the Amazon store if I really want to do this right, and then I still have to make the paper version because not everybody has iPads and Kindles. You know, I think that's exactly the right question to be asking, Chris. The one announcement Apple didn't make today that I think could have made this an easier market for Apple to suddenly rush in and own, like it did with, say, smartphones a couple of years ago, or music even before that, is they didn't say, and we're also going to start selling specifically to the education market, a cheaper version of the iPad. Uh, the, I mean, Apple's right that the iPad is affordable in the sense that, you know, it's it's not a $1,000 machine. It's The cheapest one you can get is 500 And you, certainly a $15 textbook is much cheaper than a 40 or $50 textbook, but you have to add in the cost of your $500 iPad that you need to apply. I'm not convinced yet that Apple can truly start dominating the textbook world until it's literally got an iPad in every student's hand. Apple sold millions and millions of iPads, but my guess is the vast majority of those belong to, uh, at best, parents and at worst, mere adults. Uh, and I don't know. I mean, I could under- certainly understand a college being, you know, especially a, a, an Ivy League school or a fancier private institution saying one of the things you either have to have or one of the things you get as part of your very expensive tuition is an iPad. But it gets harder, I think, to say, hey, third grader, you need to – or, you know, they, they, Apple demoed an ABC book today briefly. So if you're a first grader, let's say, to say I'm going to assign each one of you kids an iPad, that's a very expensive piece of machinery to trust a first grader with. So I, I think it's tricky for a publisher to say I'm going to just embrace this interactive textbook versus making one that I can just have as a more traditional text and pictures book and sell it, sell very similar versions throughout all the stores. 
I think it's pretty clear at the same time that Apple hopes to sort of they want to induce that same jealousy that they have with a lot of their hardware stuff and say, well, look how cool these textbooks look on our, on our iPads and look how many things they can do and look how superior they can be to the printed textbook in order to entice people into buying devices that will run their textbook or schools uh, into sort of investing in these large-scale plans of we need to distribute iPads to our students so that they can have access to all this. I mean, beyond just the iBooks and the textbook part of it, we also saw the, the iTunes U app that they rolled out, which is clearly this idea that we're going to put all of our you know professors courses and have all that information packaged together and put into one place in an app where they can then just you know students can just go through and see all the list of their books they need and their coursework their syllabi their all the other materials they want um and i think that's apple sort of wrapping up this ecosystem but i agree that it, it might be a hard sell as an investment and so they're trying to make it look as attractive as possible but I agree with Lex that the, the big problem here is distribution. I mean, especially for public, uh, you know, public schools and K through twelve, that's a lot of money. Even if a, even if an iPad is five hundred bucks and cheaper than than a lot of computers, it's still a lot of money to invest. And it's still a question of how do you how do you distribute those to everybody? Do you lock the textbooks to the students? Do the students have to buy their own textbooks? Do you have to invest in bulk purchases for textbooks? I mean, there's a lot of infrastructure to look into, and I think that's that's a really big challenge because they also they just those institutions tend to move slow and conservatively. And that's why it was so interesting to me that Apple focused in this event on high school textbooks, where generally it's the schools that are buying it and the schools have those books handed down for four or five years, which Apple, you know, used as a criticism of that process, versus college, where I think it's more fair to say, you know, it's your iPad and you buy the books and you're responsible for it. I think certainly it makes sense to me that Apple would want to be there, but that wasn't where most of their focus was today, which I, I can't say exactly why that was, although I did find it, like I said, unusual. Yeah, I agree with you. I, I, particularly given the focus of K through 12, even if a junior high student, I really don't want them carrying around a $500 iPad that is quite breakable, you know, so they drop it in their in their backpack and uh, and you're out 500 bucks and you have to go get another one. Right. Who, who has to replace it at that point? The parents or the school districts or what? I mean, depends how that works, but I, these school districts are going to, they're going to lose some iPads if they're distributing to students and they got to build in for that cost, but it's not cheap. And I, I think many more of those students have the, you know, considerably cheaper iPod touches or yeah. iPhones right. even in their pockets. And, uh, you know, I, I understand why Apple didn't say these all work out of the box on an iPhone because clearly there's a lot less screen real estate to work with. But it's, I don't know. It's, it seems like there's a missing piece in there somewhere. If I, I have to have an iPad and I'm a public high school student I, I, or a public elementary school student, I, I don't see how that's a realistic goal right now. Right. So is it possible to pass along books you no longer need? <laughs> no. Ah. Um, I think that's the problem with digital books in general. Same problem if you buy ebooks from the iBook store, for example. Uh, you're kind of you're kind of stuck with it. And so there is there is a trade-off here, right? I mean, textbooks are often extremely expensive. They cited costs of forty to sixty dollars. I've seen textbooks, especially in college, go for a lot more than that, depending on how large the print runs are. So Apple is saying they're capping textbook costs at $15 per textbook. Now, if true, that is a pretty good deal in the sense that, yes, maybe you don't get, you can't resell it and you can't do the things you can with a paper textbook, but there's a lot of other features, interactive things, for example, and not only that, but you're paying a fraction of the cost. Now, as Lex pointed out earlier, you still have to have an iPad, so that's going to that's gonna bite into the bottom line, but if you need to buy three or four-year 
college, you know, career, if you've got one iPad and then you need to buy, you know, five or six textbooks a semester, that could end up pretty quickly saving you money. And I, I think of it very fondly back in my days of carrying eight textbooks in a bag over my shoulder, uh, lugging that up and down large hills on my college campus that taking just one iPad to a lot of my classes certainly could be a boon. But it, it's a trade off, I think, when it comes to the end of the day. So any thoughts on how publishers really feel about this? Because, I mean, a hit in the education market may be a book that sells 10,000 copies versus, you know, a million seller. And I can't believe that the textbook publishers are going to say, oh, 15 bucks, that, that's, and, and you're getting a cut out of this? And production costs? I'm, I'm not sure I see where the money makes sense for them. You know, I, I think that's a, a smart question to ask, but I feel like I can see it from the publisher's perspective. If they can somehow create these books without having to spend a ton to do it, uh, I feel like from the publisher's perspective, you like that the uh, you know that your books can't be resold. That means every student who wants to read it has to buy it. So if you had a $60 textbook, instead of having, let's say at the college level, instead of having a student who buys it new and then they resell it four or five times, uh, back to the campus bookstore to other students, and you don't make any money on that. Each time now you're getting your $15 fee. Uh, and I mean, your distribution it's, it's, costs are nil, and you don't have the giant book. I mean, those are heavy books to ship, I'm guessing, and uh, so you, you save a lot on that side. So I, I feel like it's it's appealing to publishers. It reminds me a little bit of uh, what Apple's done with iTunes Match, right? In the same way that the music providers didn't get money for all the people pirating music, well, now they're getting something over nothing. And so in the case, as Lex is saying, sure, they're getting less off that initial sale, but they're getting repeated sales, which may more than make up for the amount they're losing. Right, except um, I, I don't know if you've heard this or not, but um, youth between the ages of, say, 12 and 20 are very capable of removing copy protection and uh, and finding ways around having to pay for anything. So it is sort of like um, you know throwing a hunk of meat into a, a pack of wolves. <laughs> That That is a challenge, and I mean, I think a problem with pretty much any kind of digital media that you get distributing, right? Yeah, someone eventually could break it, but you have to kind of rely on the fact that, I mean, I don't know. The idea of stealing a textbook seems especially antithetical to me, but maybe that's because I'm no longer a 12 to 20-year-old. Um, but I think, you know, at the same time, you got to bank on the idea that people in general are going to invest in things. And if, if it's the schools investing them, then that's a different question entirely. But, yeah, it's it's definitely a challenge and a, and a trade-off. Well, I do think that the pricing helps. I mean, if they can bring them in at fifteen bucks, just like with iTunes, the incentive to steal is is lessened because you don't feel like you're getting ripped off. However, if you do see books coming out at forty and fifty dollars, and in the past you were able to buy a used copy for twenty, I could see how students would feel like you know I just I would feel terrible doing this, but I can't afford to do this. Sure. Yeah, it's a it's a big question, and I, I think that. You know, I don't know. When I was a student, I'm trying to remember, I definitely bought uh, uh, used textbooks here and there, but I feel like the vast majority of the ones I bought were new textbooks. Um, and I sold some of those back, you know, at the end of semesters, but a lot of them I kept um, for whatever bizarre reason, because thinking it's that idealism of, of being a college student. Oh, I'll read this again someday. Um, but I mean, you know, I think when it comes to this kind of stuff, it's, it's also interesting that, as they kept pointing out, um, these textbooks can be updated, unlike right. the textbooks that you are getting in, in paper format where it's just like, well, you know, maybe you're stuck without – maybe there were only you – know, if you were elements in your chemistry textbook because your chemistry textbook was published before a certain age. Um, but, you know, it is interesting that they can continue to add content to it as you go along. I do think, though, there's a, 
a potential question of how interested publishers will be in continuing to update books after a certain amount of time. Like I could imagine that if you've updated your, you know, history of the president's textbook to include our current president and the most recent ones that weren't in the previous edition of the book, at some point you might say, you know what, now we're going to put in the new 2016 edition of the book and it's got, you know, it's, it's a new purchase so that we don't have to keep on serving folks who probably either don't need that textbook current anymore and aren't giving us any money for it anymore. Anyway. Or I suppose I could make that an in-app purchase. So if you want the latest president, you pay 99 cents, you get that chapter. And interestingly, we did learn that it's possible for uh, publishers to sell things on chapter basis. There's one book coming out that is not complete yet. I think it was this Life on Earth book that they were touting. Um, it's not complete yet, but you can download the first couple chapters and then buy the additional chapters. Or I think some at some point down the road when it's complete, obviously, it will be available as a whole book. But I think it's possible for textbook publishers to sell, to break things out by chapters, which might, you know, has the possibility for them to bring in more revenue if they can mark up the chapters a little bit or add additional content for people to buy later. I think it's a smart idea. I I recall in college where you'd be given a text, but you're only required to read through three chapters of the thing and the rest of it you ignore. So good idea. You just set that part on fire. Yeah, right. (laughs) So do we know what kind of cut Apple's getting? It's the the same 30%, I believe, that... Dan's looking at me like I'm wrong. I, well, I don't know. I mean, they, I don't think they explicitly said. I, I think Lex is probably right and that it's the 30% that they say take off pretty much everything else in the store. But I don't I don't remember them saying something explicitly about that during the during the event. Yeah, they, I don't think they mentioned it, but I believe it's the same the same cut that Apple takes now. Okay. So back to iBooks 2. Is there anything in there that enhances the experience for, for just regular readers? I do appreciate the... Um, now, the truth is I have not used the new iBooks app to look at a regular iBook yet. But I, if the, uh, for example, the, the search feature that Apple showed today where if I type in a page number, it recognizes that I'd like to just jump right to that page. I like that because right now going to a specific page number takes, or in the original version of iBooks, took more taps than was seemingly necessary. So I, I like that. And if that carries over, that'll be nice. Um. Yeah, there's. Uh, I think that's a nice feature. A lot of the glossary and uh, index features that are in there were particularly uh, attractive to me as I, I remember dealing with textbooks that have really, really terrible indexes where you would look in the back and be like, oh, I just want to know what this one thing is, and it wouldn't be in there for some reason. Um, so I think having that and the glossary to jump around is really cool. And those flashcards in particular, I never made flashcards. It was such a, such a pain in the neck to, to – and you wasted so many of your lovely index cards. But the idea of virtual flashcards, and there are a number of apps already that do that, um, but having it built into your textbook and link into the information already in there is pretty cool. Okay. Uh, do you still have your pundits BDs on? Yes. Hold on. Let me replace mine. He did just successfully mime putting a beanie back on for okay. those of you listening at home. And now with beanies in place, do you think this is fully baked or do you think this is just a first step? It's always tricky when you go into these Apple events and um, everything looks really shiny and cool and really well put together. And then as you sort of step out and go and look at the, the products themselves, you start to f- see more of the little like the little missing pieces and the holes in the brick wall. And so I think that there's a lot to like here. But I think that as with everything Apple does, I think we're going to see them over time reform this and sort of iterate on it as they often do. So I think they're going to improve things as they go. 
but right now it's it's perhaps the most attractive digital you know textbook initiative that we have ever really seen i think i think they you know apple's taken its customary end-to-end approach here we're going to do everything from show how you create it to help you distribute it to use the you know make the devices that you're going to read it on but there's still a lot of holes as we've talked about and you know to, to piggyback on dan i agree with everything he said which is unusual for both of us but, but you know, there's so much right now that you see uh, seems like it's missing from this offering. I think it's a great first step, but I think Apple, if Apple really wants to dominate this, not, you know, I, I would say at least until today, iTunes U is mostly an afterthought, uh, as much a hobby as the original Apple TV was for Apple. But when you look at some of the limitations today, for you know, the, the books don't work on an iPhone, that iBooks author can only publish... Uh, even a, a book that doesn't have interactive media in it can really only be published to the iBook store as a PDF, which is kind of useless. You can't publish it to a traditional EPUB file or certainly not to a, a, a Mobi file. Um, and the, you know, the sort of the, the limitations, I guess, uh, in terms of how you get books into the bookstore. The fact, you know, the Kindle bookstore, if I were to write a book and want to sell in the Kindle bookstore, I can pretty much do that no matter who I am. Uh, it doesn't have to go through an approval process. I don't have to get an ISBN. I can just sort of write a book pretty it up the right way in the proper format and submit it to Amazon and they'll let me sell it. Uh, of course, taking a cut. And I think that, you know, Apple has some gaps here that it's left, I think, wide open for itself. We were even talking after the show about how there's still no uh, Mac client to read these books. And I, I think that the number one thing that a school's going to need, uh, especially at the high school level, to say, we're going to embrace these new digital textbooks that Apple's providing, is they're, they're going to have to be ubiquitous. Any student who wants to read these books should be able to read these books, and they have to be able to study wherever they are. If, uh, if it's bring your own iPad, then maybe it's a family-shared iPad. Um, maybe the family can afford just one iPad and there's multiple students. Yeah, I have to have multiple ways if I also have a computer and iPhone in the house to do my studying. Um, and until Apple can either make an education-priced iPad that's far more competitive or get schools to adopt these iPads on mass, I, I feel like it's going to be very hard for this to become truly mainstream. Okay, thanks. Nice coverage, and we'll be following the story, of course, throughout the coming weeks. Thanks very much, Dan and Lex. Thank you. Thanks, Chris. And that wraps up this edition of the Macro Podcast. I'd like to thank Dan Morin, Lex Friedman, and, of course, you for listening. If you have any comments or questions, feel free to drop us a line at podcast at or you can leave us a voicemail at 415-967-3622. This is Chris Breen reminding you that you can find more Apple, macOS, iOS, and technology news, views, and information at macworld.com. Thanks very much for listening. See you around.